Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. Hello there, Greg Mackling. Good afternoon, Mr. McGarry. Great to have some time with you. Won't be with you tomorrow. Yeah, what the heck? I'll be following you tomorrow. That's all right. I'll uh, can I can I stick around for the first little bit when we announce the grand champion of Canadian musicality? Sure. All right. Go to our Facebook page, Canadian Music Madness. It's already controversial. We've left out some bands and musicians that people are not happy about. We're going to debate it from 11 till 12, and then we'll have voting from 12 till 1, and then we will declare our champion, the people's champion. Who was the people's champion? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah, I didn't see. I was pandering to you there somewhat. <laughs> he was the great one. I know there, I know that's kind of blasphemous to say in this country, but he called himself the great one. Yes, The yes. most electrifying man <laughs> in sports entertainment today. We've got lots to talk about this afternoon. We should probably do a Peter Warren and get right down to business. What do you say? Yes. Uh, Global News, Sean Leslie joining us. He has been sharing with us. It's all over globalnews.ca and also our Facebook page. There is a family in Manitoba's Interlake suing a school division over handling of bullying. And Sean has spoken to this family. Sean Leslie joins us now. Good afternoon, Mr. Leslie. Oh, do we have Sean Leslie? I'm not sure what Hey, Jeff... guys, how's it going? Oh, there he is. Hello there, there Sean. Go. Sorry about that. Whoa. Jeff Forte was just getting us set up there. So, Greg, what was your question once again for Sean? Well, I'm just making the comment that Sean has visited with the family uh, up in Gimli that is suing a Manitoba school division over their handling or maybe in their eyes non-handling of a bully issue of their son who is now 19 years old. Sean, I know there are some sensitivities in terms of what we can and cannot say on the air. So with your intimate knowledge of the story, we'll ask you to share that with us now. And and then we're going to open up the phone lines to discuss bullying in an overall sense. What can you tell us about this, uh, about this lawsuit? Sure. Yeah, it's we're kind of in the middle of this lawsuit. It was filed two years ago, actually, but the family's at a point now where uh, they want to tell their story in the hopes of maybe helping others who who might be uh, going through a similar thing. Uh, Cole Fraze is the 19-year-old man's name, and um, he says the bullying started when the family moved to Gimli. This was in middle school. It started with kind of comments about his weight. He was a bit of a of a heavier kid uh, back then. But it really escalated when he got to Gimli High School. That was in 2012. And it was everything from verbal abuse, physical assaults, uh, on the bus, in the hallways, at, at school, um, even on social media. There were uh, actual death threats. This is all according to the family and um, sort of laid out in that, in that statement of claim and in the interview. Um, that I did with them. So the the crux, sort of, of, of I guess the lawsuit and the, and the you know the the reason the family is, is so you know is looking for some compensation here, I suppose, is that you know they say they reached out to the principal 
of the high school, the superintendent of the school division. They even filed a complaint, an assault complaint with RCMP. Uh, but all of that seemed to do nothing to stop what was happening. Uh, they feel that, you know, the school and the school division didn't do enough, basically, to stop the bullying, and that they, they also allege that uh, they failed to cooperate with the RCMP investigation. Now, uh, the lawyer representing the defendants in this case, the school division, uh, the administrators, former and current administrators at the, at the high school, uh, deny this in a statement of defense. They didn't want to do an on-camera interview saying the matters before the courts, but they do deny that they uh, didn't assist in that police investigation. They say that they did handle the reports of harassment, uh, physical contact appropriately. They had meetings, they say, with uh, students, parents, teachers as part of this, that they did sort of implement uh, strategies to bring about some changes here. But uh, you know, Foucault and says he was forced to change high school. So he went to Gimli. He actually ended up going to Selkirk to finish off his high school. That's about an hour and a half away, uh, one way. So he was forced to go that far away. He did end up graduating, but he's 19 now. And, you know, the emotional scarring is still there. He goes to, still goes to counseling. Um, says, you know, this happened to me every day and it's going to stick with me. And it's a long, long road to recovery. So, Sean, I, and I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot by posing this question to you, but I don't remember there, of there ever being a lawsuit like this where an institution is sued by a family for bullying. Is, are you aware of any, is there a precedent for this? The, you know, I, I remember having that conversation with uh, the lawyer representing the Frey's family when the suit was filed about two years ago now. And, and at that point, he wasn't, the, that lawyer wasn't aware of any type of, uh, case like that. Certainly in Manitoba. Now, there may be ones in, in other provinces, but it is a very, uh, unique case, uh, for sure. And potentially precedent setting. I mean, the thing with these civil suits, though, is that they take a long time to play out. And, uh, you know, it could be, could be years before this actually goes to trial, if it ever even does get that far. Sean Leslie, Global News, joining us right now. You can go to our Facebook page, and many of you have. This story has been shared 36 times. Doesn't sound like a lot, Brett, but that's a lot of shares for a story like this, and the comments are flowing in. We will share your Facebook comments, the ones that we can on the air, and invite your calls on this. Sean, before we let you go, you've mentioned that the Evergreen School Division is not talking. Their council is not really talking about this. Why is the phrase family? Why are, the, why are they speaking out right now? Yeah, I think they were very clear that, you know, they're at a point in the lawsuit where, first of all, they can uh, sort of legally come out and say some things publicly. And it, really, they want to get their message out that, you know, there there is help out there. Cole was in a very bad, dark place for a long time. And, um, you know, they they felt like there wasn't a lot of help out there for them. I guess over the years that this played out, they were able to find the, the help for their son that they needed. And I think the overall message from them is just that there are people out there who have gone through this too. Um, reach out, talk about it with your kids, uh, your parents, people in the community that, you know, maybe you have those types of conversations with because that's the only way that uh, you can start to get over something like that, especially when you're talking about bullying that, you know, allegedly in this case was so severe. Sean, thank you for this. We appreciate your story. And I imagine that this will be on uh, Global News uh, this evening. Yep, you bet, on the website. And uh, check out the full story tonight at 6. Sean Leslie, always great to get some time with you, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, Sean, thank you very much. So 
This is interesting for me because I can already, I suspect, and I, I am saying this, this is just a knee-jerk reaction. I have not yet looked at the comments on our Facebook page. I suspect there are probably some people right now listening to this radio station thinking, so there's a family that is suing schools because a kid got bullied. Uh, why? And because bullying has always... It's always been there, and I I don't foresee a day where bullying will never exist. I would like to imagine that we would one day live in that kind of a world, but, you know, this is the real world, and that's, I think, a pipe dream. But this is an interesting... This If this is going to set a precedent, maybe this is what it will take to try to at least begin to put an end to bullying. There are a lot of parents who call... Balderdash on school divisions and their pledge to eliminate bullying. There are parents that have had interaction with schools and school divisions that feel as though the bullied actually get bullied even more by the system, that it's the bullier that has all the rights. And there are a lot of people that are frustrated with with this, but you're correct in saying on the Facebook and on our Facebook comments, there are people who say not in the exact words you just used, but certainly in a paraphrasable manner that this is something we're never going to get rid of. Well, people are are, uh, frustrated and they're expressing themselves on Facebook and we'd like to get your opinions and your voice, 204-780-6868. Have you had an experience as a parent, as a child with going to a school? And we need to keep the school divisions and the school names out of it if we can, please with little or no satisfaction, or perhaps the other side of it. You had a situation, and it was handled excellently. And maybe you could share with us the methods that were used. We'd love to hear both sides of this. 204-780-6868. Your stories are always best in your voice. We welcome your phone calls. We welcome your texts. I'm Greg, he's Brett. Wow, the phone lines have jammed up almost immediately in your call, in our call for your calls. So thank you for that. We will skip the Facebook pages and uh, head right to the phone lines, Brett. Let's start with James at 204-780-6868. Hello there, James. What would you like to say? Uh, well, I, uh, I just uh, have a couple comments, I guess, about this uh, topic. Uh, I, have, uh, I've, I have four kids. Two are grown up. Two are still... Uh, in school right now, in middle school, actually, my uh, daughter's just going uh, to grade nine and my son is in grade seven. Anyways, the point of the story is um, a few years ago, uh, I, my daughter uh, began to experience some bullying at school. And this uh, was in grade six at the time, so she was still in elementary school. And uh, throughout that year, I tried many different uh uh, techniques and and uh, different routes to uh, help you know to solve the problem so that she could uh, uh, carry on with her life and not have to deal with a, a couple of certain girls at her school and uh, it really just uh, it, it nothing was being done about it uh, there was a uh, you know uh, some meetings perhaps uh, there was uh, a lot of um, a lot of concern over the bullier. Uh, as to, uh, you know, why they were bullying and why they're doing this. And not really a lot of focus on my daughter, uh, uh, really, uh, in, in in that kind of emotion, um, emotional support or any type of support like that. So 
near the end of the school year, I, uh, I uh, became quite frustrated with the situation. And then after one incident in particular, uh, I took it upon myself to go down to the school the uh, following day, uh, right near the end of school. So it was about 3.30 and uh, uh, just confronted the, uh, the two girls in question and uh, stood about six to eight feet away and uh, did tried not to be uh, at all aggressive or, or intimidating, but uh, just questioned them as to why they're doing it and asked them politely to stop. And uh, the following morning, I got a phone call from the superintendent of my school division and the principal and the teachers involved uh, because the uh, the two girls involved, the two bullies, uh, I guess, uh, were upset and uh, voiced their opinions to their parents. And then the parents called and everybody attacked me. And uh, I ended up having to write a letter uh, to the school division, to the superintendent personally, apologizing for going down to the school and confronting the two girls in question. Now, when I did that, the bullying stopped completely. There has never been a case of bullying with these two girls and my daughter since. They live in the same area of town. They do see each other, and the girls stay away from my daughter. And I'm not trying to say that's because of what their father did, but, I mean, obviously it got to the point where I had no choice but to step in. Now, recently in the news, just not too long ago, I recall CGOB doing a story on a father who uh, was from a rural town, I believe, who uh, was charged with assault and and, uh, going through some issues with kind of doing the same thing. He basically showed up at a hockey rink and confronted... Yeah, that was in Banff, James. Yeah, but we did talk about it on this program, in fact. You're you're accurate, yes. Yeah, so forgive me for going on and on, but the point to really what I'm trying to say is, is... Bullying is going on every day. It's in many different forms. There's social media. They're right physically, right to their faces. It's it's behind their backs with other friends. And really, I, I kind of feel like uh, the schools and the school divisions and these people dealing with these matters have just kind of been put there. They're, they're, it's like a stalemate is happening. They don't know what really to do. They don't know how to really treat this situation and unfortunately, year after year and day after day, there's many children that are suffering from being bullied. And I understand the concern that goes towards the bullies. And sure, let's find out why they're being bullies. Maybe there's issues. Maybe there's problems in their household. Maybe whatever the problem is. But regardless, my daughter was an innocent, well-behaved, academically sound person who doesn't, you know, didn't deserve treatment like that. So, James, I apologize for putting you on hold. We just we have stack lines here, and we want to get to as many callers as possible. Thank you for sharing your story so eloquently. We appreciate it. Colette is up next to two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hello there, Colette. What would you like to say? Oh, hi there. Well, I agree with James. I agree with that dad. And look at how much uh, things changed the minute that he did that. Uh, it's unfortunate that anybody has to actually come to the school to protect their own daughter or child, but maybe that's what those parents should have done to the first boy, the 19-year-old. Maybe the parents could have come to the school and, you know, made a big stink about what was going on because the health and well-being and safety of their child was at stake. I was a school counselor for many, many years, and I did this for a living, and you have no idea how many classes I've taught to uh, protect children and, and teach anti-bullying, and unfortunately, it's still going on. Um, that's not a good sign, but it is that it, this has to continue going. The, the school division, the teachers, the teacher aides, the 
janitor in the school, everybody has to work towards trying to make sure that children are protected. Because that's really, really sad for that kid that's 19 years old and still suffering from this. Maybe the school division could pay for his uh, counseling. Colette, that would be a solution. Colette in, in your time, have you seen this get worse, get better? Is it just that more kids feel comfortable coming forward? I think sometimes that may skew the statistics. What's your take on that in terms of the trend that you've seen in your years of experience within the school system? I think the children are getting sneakier. And they they're find getting different what? ways. Sneakier. Sneakier, okay. Sneakier. Yeah, they're getting a little bit more, yeah, sneaky, and they're finding different ways to bully, you know, when there's no teacher watching, when it's kind of subtle and nobody notices it, or they just walk by a student, and I think they're finding different ways. It's not good. That doesn't say much for our society that people are still doing that, but, um, you know, I think, I think the school division and the school needs to really, really, really think about how do I protect every single child that's in this school? doesn't matter how old they are. Colette, thank you for that. We do appreciate your feedback. And uh, sorry, uh, much like James, uh, we apologize for putting the pause button on you sort of abruptly. We want to get Wayne in here before we run out of time. Uh, Wayne, what do you have to say? Yeah, I agree with James. I think the problem is a lot of people don't know how to handle the situation. Several years back, stepdaughter didn't want to go to school. And what we found out was she was being picked on on the bus. She was in grade three. The bullier was in grade 12. My I went, word. I, I kid you not. It got to a point where he actually uh, uh, grabbed her one day and banged her against the, the pole on the bus, and she got a bruise on her head. First thing I did is I went to the school bus driver. Nothing happened. I found out later the school bus driver was scared of this kid. I contacted the school. Uh, they assured me it would be taken care of. Nothing happened. I directly phoned the principal. He assured me they'd look into the matter. Didn't help. I went in the next day after the latest incident, and I actually barged into his office. And I told him, I said, if this doesn't stop, I will stop it. It stopped. The kid was kicked off the bus. But I think the problem here is, they, like James said, a lot of these people don't know how to handle it, and they should handle it quickly. Wayne, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much. But we will continue this conversation after Global News at 1.30. I see Daniel on the line. Daniel, sit tight. We will get to your call. And if you have any thoughts you want to offer on this situation, we're talking about bullying triggered by a story of a Manitoba family suing school division over handling of bullying. And we are going to keep going. 204-780-6868. Your calls and texts on bullying, whether you were bullied as a kid or maybe your child has been bullied. How did the school, the division deal with it? Were you satisfied with the way they dealt with it? 204-780-6868. Frankly, Mr. Gallagher, your son's behavior has been among the most egregious I've seen at this school. And I've been here a long time. Don't look a day over 90. He terrorizes these students to the point that they move through my halls in fear. School should not be a palace of terror. It should be a temple of learning. If children do not feel safe, how can they learn? They can't. She's asking me, Chipwich. The only way to get through to Carl is have him face the truth of what he's done and let him absorb it in a meaningful way. Do that. 
Okay. He can't just do it. He needs to actively engage. Got any suggestions? Yeah. He should apologize to my kid and every other kid here, individually, like he means oh, it. Spare us the Wiener Act. Bullying is a vital part of every ecosystem. It teaches kids resilience. The world is a rough place. Bullying is like getting inoculated. It's a vaccine. And you little you gotta learn to stay away from people like my son. That's what you learn when you get punched in the face by a bully. How do you think Steve Jobs turned out so great? Bullies. And I guarantee Junior here will be getting the hottest chicks when he's 30 because he got bullied today. You want your kid to peak now? My kid will be picking up roadside garbage in an orange jumpsuit in 10 years. Your kid will be in med school curing cancer. You're welcome. What if I want to cure cancer? Be lucky you don't get gonorrhea from your cellmate. Spoken with love, son. Home. I am so proud of you, Dad. That is Oscar-nominated actor William H. Macy. He stars as Frank Gallagher in Shameless. Two divergent opinions echoed in that clip about bullying and how to handle it and and maybe even justify it somewhat. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Yeah, that's uh, I have I have never heard that. I have seen a couple of episodes of that show. William H. Macy's character is a deplorable human being, but you sort of heard in there some humanity where he was saying his son is going to turn his basically saying my son is a piece of trash, kind of like I am, and he's going to grow up to be a piece of trash. So he'll be a criminal. You and you need to teach your son how to stay away from boneheads like my kid. It's an interesting way of looking at it. There are a lot of people who look at it exactly that way. Daniel is at 204-780-6868, waiting patiently for 10 minutes. Daniel, we thank you so much for your patience. What would you like to say? Oh, that's no problem. Uh, Yeah, thanks for the opportunity here. Uh, You know, when we're talking about physical bullying, like if, if your kid is going out at recess and coming back with bloody nose, you know, obviously there's a problem there, and the teachers are going to look into that. But there is actually a grain of truth in that the world is a very rough place, and people do have a lot of differing opinions, and they're going to be rough, and they're going to be rude to you. And when we set kids up in that, we, we're we sort of acting like there's this utopian world. As soon as they get out of high school, this utopia that they'll enter it's kind of setting them up for failure. And I mean, there is a lot of truth in often even what a bully says. I mean, I got bullied a lot growing up by certain kids, but I was overweight and everything they'd said to me would, you know, if you, it might be wrong, but was technically true. It was unhealthy and it wasn't a good state. And I mean, when you're in nature, the, the organism is shaped by the environmental pressures that, that, cause the organism to evolve over generations into the organism that fits the environment. The society that we've created has X amount of pressures, X amount of norms and values. And generally, you know, the things that you'll get bullied over can actually help you to overcome and to be a stronger person. Once you actually get out into this utopia that doesn't exist. 
Daniel, I, I, I yeah. appreciate you having the courage and the strength to uh, portray it this way because there are a lot of people that agree with you. You know there are a ton of people yelling at the radio right now that don't agree with you in any way, I, shape, or form. I, I know that I know that there's a ton of people who definitely don't agree with me, but I also think that bumper guarding the world mm-hmm. doesn't do anybody any favors. It just doesn't. And, and, I mean, what that clip said, yeah, he was a little rough, he was a little rude, and it's not exactly the wording and phrasing that I would choose. But there is some actual grains of truth in that. And, I mean, sure, like, I think teachers are competent enough to recognize when a child is being severely abused by his peers and when a child is generally just going through the, the coming-of-age stuff, just the, you know, Kids are rude to each other. Daniel? Adults are rude to each other, but it's much more subtle and much deeper, though, at the same time. Kids are much more, you know, face value. Oh, yeah, you're fat or you're whatever. You know, the adults are going to be the same way. They're just going to be a lot more subtle about it, and it'll, but it'll be more effective at the same time. It's yeah, Kids have to learn to be tough. That's all. Daniel, thanks for this. Uh, we're going to leave it there. I know you have more to say. You uh, feel free to give us a call anytime. For sure. Have a good one. You too, Daniel. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate the feedback and your patience for waiting so long, as has been Dave waiting almost 10 minutes now. Dave, thank you for your patience. What would you like to say about Um, bullying? Hi, I'm I'm not about to... It might sound like I'm defending the bully, but the the first question I ask is, what's the reward for the bully? It's sort of like Pavlov and the dog and the bell and all that. I don't know that teachers have the kind of training, and I'm not saying they need to go for years and years, to, to you know to try to reverse that. Because I think if the bully gets a different reward, you know, if they were to try a different approach, like they're getting a short reward, and then I think they come down and they feel like crap about themselves, and that's why they are a bully. But I don't, I don't think that the school system does anything to try to re- rectify that situation. You know, I think a bully might get a better reward actually. Uh, helping somebody who fell than actually calling them fat, but they just don't know that. And we don't really teach that in an effective way at all, I don't think. I don't know if I'm wrong, but I, you know, I sort of look at it that way. So you're, you're suggesting that maybe the bullies simply don't know that it actually feels better to be kind and help people than they it is to, to just to to knock be, them down. Yeah. yeah, I think they need to be trained that way. And they, maybe they come from a home that, you know, they're watching their parents bully each other or one you know, something like that. But, you know, well, that's where the school system probably needs to step in and, you know, have some sort of programming for the teachers so that they can identify and actually correct it. You know, something psychologists and psychiatrists probably need to write up for them. But I, I, I know there's a reward for it. They think that, you know, they feel better about themselves when they demean someone else. But I think about five minutes later, they feel worse than they did before they started the bullying. I, I'm speculating. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. Dave, that's what this is all about. It's about your opinion and sharing your view and uh, honest and open forum here. And we appreciate uh, your take on it. You guys. You know, uh, Shadow Davis and I got in a conversation yesterday, Brett, about Freshie Week and about hazing and sports. And I've read so many accounts of this and lived it myself. And one of the preeminent factors in dealing with and putting up with such rituals, quote, quote, unquote, is the fact that you know you're going to be able to do it to somebody else next year or three or four years later when you're at the, quote, unquote, top of the food chain. So this, it's just uh, about perpetuating the cycle. 
Correct. And so that, that's what allows you to, to put up with it is knowing, well, I'll get to do this to somebody someday and it'll be okay. Well, hazing is being phased out. It may be going deeper underground than it ever was, but it's not officially sanctioned anymore. Freshy week or froshy week has been scaled back and changed dramatically in high schools, especially now in Manitoba. This was always the case in the United States. High school was grade 9 to grade 12, but that's changed in Manitoba in the last 15, 20 years where, you know, you've got that divergent age group uh, within high school. And so it's a, it's a big issue. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever solve it, but I'll tell you this. We talk about it now more than we ever did, and I think that's half the battle is talking about it and and not normalizing it because it, it may be a normal part of our society for a long time, but that's not normal behavior. We shouldn't be allowing kids to disrespect one another the way they do. It's it's not right. Let's go to Terry at 204-780-6868. Hey, Terry, what do you think? We're talking about bullying. What would you like to say? Hi, guys. Um, I live in St. Adolph. And I'm going to go to a uh, election because of bullying. Um, the council got dissolved. It's been in the paper a lot. And, um, you know, it was claimed that the mayor quit because she was being bullied. So it's not just kids. Um, it's all over the place. It's that lack of respect within our society. And I don't know if it's this digital era, Terry, where we feel comfortable uh, slagging one another, whether it be on Facebook or other social media. We talk about, talk about and hear about keyboard warriors. It just feels as though in this day and age where we're supposed to be learning to be kinder to one another, there's this extra layer of protection and this extra layer sense that we can be more rude to one another than we've ever been. It's, it's such a dichotomy. But there's one thing that bullies are aware of, in my opinion. I don't think there's a consequence. <clears throat> the case in Gimli between the individual and the school division, we have the individual's name, we have the, uh, the, the uh, defendants in the school division, but no comment, no nothing about the bully. The bully can get away. How many times have we heard about a victim to the extreme where they've committed suicide, but nothing about the bully? Granted, they're kids and you can't devolve their name, but there's got to be some sort of consequence for a bully. Otherwise, hey, I can bully anybody I want and nobody's going nobody's gonna to rat me out. Terry, thank you for the feedback at 204-780-6868. Got a text message here. What can be done with bullying? This happens right in front of staff. Students being treated as if they're poisonous, told to cut their legs shorter, called names. I wonder if that's supposed to be hair shorter, called names, etc. When staff is talked to students and are told to deal with it on their own, what can one do? Perhaps taking it to court is the answer. And we're, that's in reference to a Manitoba family that is suing a school division over the handling of a bullying situation. A 19-year-old ended up having to leave school in Gimli and finish high school in Selkirk because the bullying was so Bad, and you can read about that. Sean Leslie, reporter from Global News, has a story at globalnews.ca. We also have it on our Facebook page. Let's go to Frank at 204-780-6868. Hey, Frank, what do you have to say? 
Um, I'm thinking maybe we're looking at it from a one-dimensional perspective. We have to retrain the bullies and also train the victims as to how to deal with each other. We're listening, Frank. What's your suggestion? Well, I mean, it can't be all discipline, right? It it can't be uh, one-sided against these... Uh, who knows why a bully is a bully? Yeah, you're right. I mean, and thank you, Frank. We appreciate the feedback at 204-780-6868. You never really know. I mean, I know that, for example, I can look back to my days in elementary school. There were a handful of kids who were kind of the bullies. They're the little, like the cliched group of bullies. There were the bad kids who would pick on everybody. And I... Maybe that's the first problem is we call them the bad kids. Well, they, they were bad they kids. They earned the, the moniker? Yeah. yeah. And okay. They, but I eventually ended up visiting at least one of their homes, and it was not a happy home. So, and I, I sort of gathered, eventually sort of gathered that over time from the rest of them as well, that they all came from. So it was... I don't, I don't. I don't want to. Use, the word cliche almost sounds like it's downplaying it, but it really was almost a cliche that these these kids all came from lousy homes. Danny has been waiting patiently. Let's get to Danny before we check our forecast. That's six eighty CJOB. Hey, Danny, what's your take? You know, this unfortunately has been a problem over many many years, and it just it. I hear so many stories from parents. Um, you know, we have definitely had to deal with bullying. And I'm not that kind of person that's going to sit around and play around and, and hurry up and wait. I had to end up having my husband teach our daughter how to box so she could stand up for herself and protect herself because they're not doing it in the schools. I don't care how many times you wear pink shirts to celebrate No Bullying Day. It's a load of nonsense. The signs in school, that's lulling the kids into a false sense of security. And this isn't anything new because I've told the principal this numerous times before. I felt better when I knew that my daughter could protect herself and her little sister because at the time she was very small and she has Down syndrome. So once I was comfortable with that, I knew that, you know, she could take care of herself and look after her sister and a lot of other smaller kids, you know, if need be. Um, that that was the way we handled it, you know, because they're not, they really are not handling this in school. It's a lot of lip service and nothing is being done. Danny, has your daughter ever had to meet out any schoolyard justice? Oh, my goodness. My daughter, um, yeah, from the earliest, she ended up having to take care of some business. She moved to, um, graduated or went to grade eight, went to another school, um, out of middle, into a middle school, and a boy just made it his life goal that he was going to pick. He didn't like her for whatever reason. He went after her finally, and she'd had enough. She balled up her little hand the way she was taught, and she broke his nose. Awesome. I shouldn't laugh, but you know what? Good for her. Danny, I'm giving you the high five here over the phone because sometimes that's all that works. I don't condone it, but I tell my kids, I tell my kids, some kid is pushing you or pushing your brother, punching you or punching your brother. You have my full support, my full endorsement. You got it, Danny. Thanks, Danny. 204-780-6868. We have a few minutes left to continue the conversation on bullying. This is triggered by a situation where a Manitoba family is suing a school division over the way that division handled bullying. You can read Sean Leslie's story at globalnews.ca and on our 680 CJOB Facebook page. 
And in the meantime, we are going to pause and have a look at your forecast, but keep those calls and texts coming at 204-780-6868. Your forecast is up next. Brought to you by Great West Life, a proud premier sponsor of the 2017 Canada Summer Games and presenting sponsor sponsor of the volunteer program. Sorry, my uh, headphones are crackling out on me here. Sign up to volunteer at 2017canadagames.ca. Severe thunderstorm watch in effect for southwestern Manitoba and the interlake, including areas just west and north of Winnipeg. Damaging winds, large hail and heavy rain are possible this afternoon. In the city of Winnipeg, clouding over with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms for the rest of the day. Rain and thunderstorms tonight, low of 14. Guess what? Tomorrow, showers with the risk of thunderstorms early in the afternoon and a high of 19. Canada Day, Saturday, mostly sunny. And a high of 21. Right now it's 25 degrees at 680 CJOB. That headphone jack has been giving our engineers headaches since we moved into this building. Yeah, I know. We've been here for like, what, five years? Six yes. years? It's never worked properly. Yeah, well, it, you know, I apologize. I should be able to read through it, but it distracted me to the point where... I uh, fumbled over that word. That's nothing new for me. I, I do that at least several times a sentence, but it uh, caught me off guard. Anyway, I'm Greg. I'm Brett. Your text messages, your Facebook comments on this conversation have been overwhelming. We appreciate your phone calls. Uh, we should probably try and get to a couple of face, uh, pardon me, text messages before we uh, close the segment, Brett. We got a text from Michael, who uh, we uh, we I'm I will have no problem admitting that we have had a. Uh, a hit and miss relationship with our friend Michael since we took over this show last fall, but uh, so this—that's why I'm happy to see this text from Michael, who says the idea that kids need to be tougher to deal with bullying is ridiculous. It's damaging. It can affect your career forever, and it can be lethal. So, Michael, we appreciate that feedback, and and you know it, it's true. We've seen from our visits with the young people who come in from time to time from the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba who have all told us their stories of near of on being on the edge of the abyss uh, as they thought about suicide. Mm-hmm. A lot of them having to deal with bullying issues. It's This is serious stuff. Bullying isn't just, oh, well, you know, the kid's got to tough it up, toughen up. Sometimes it can. Michael's absolutely right. It can be fatal. You know, we like to go back to our day and say, well, back in our day, this was common. A, it's like concussion. We didn't know what a bump on the head would do to your brain long term. We know now. We didn't have technology where your predator could get in touch with you 24-7, 365. Quite often when the end of school was near, it was like, oh boy, I get to get away from so-and-so. Guess what? Summer holidays don't exist for a lot of people who are a victim of this. So as much as I like to talk about the good old days and what we did when we were younger, the game has changed and how we can deal with this has changed dramatically. Global news coming up at two o'clock and we are going to switch gears dramatically and talk about a music festival, a brand new music festival and event surrounding the hip-hop community. It's called Northern Touch. Stick around for that. The news is up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Greg, I'm 39. I don't want to say what your age is. Please don't. Okay. But 48. So, you know, when this song would have come out in 1998, you would have been a, a younger lad. You remember this, don't you? Solid track. I'm sure that um, there may be... Maybe you listening to this radio station right now is suddenly going back down memory lane. 
for some northern touch. I think, Turn it up. I think the first time I heard this song was when I was working at Jersey City at Polo Park. Do you remember? I know that they're they are there right now at the south end of the mall on the first floor, but they used to be on the second floor. I remember. Closer to the bay, like right beside Aldo. They had the that big, big blue, blue bomber yes. helmet. Yeah, so I was working there, and we had the TV on, and much music was playing, and that, that song came on, and it blew my mind. I thought, that's amazing! And then it immediately soared to number one and enjoyed some success south of the border, and that is actually the inspiration for the name of the Northern Touch Music Festival, which is the first of its kind in Winnipeg and I believe in Canada. And we are joined on the phone by the co-founder of this festival, Shay Malcolmson. He is the Northern Touch co-founder, organizer, and rapper under the name Abstract Art Form, and we're joined in studio by Alexa Potashnik. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. Okay, Alexa Potashnik, who is a delegate speaking at Northern Touch uh, tomorrow. Also a beatboxer. We didn't yes. know that the last time you were here, so <laughs> we may have to put you on the spot and get oh, you to do some of that. I'm excited. And she's also the founder of Black Space Winnipeg. So I guess, Shay, why don't we start with you? Um accurate to say that the uh, that that song northern touch was a large or largely contributed to the name of this festival absolutely hi guys hi alexa hi shay um just wanted to uh say uh it's awesome for you guys to be playing that song it actually just took me back every time i hear it it takes me back a little bit and uh yeah i'm i've done some work with thrust in the past and i know one of the other delegates helen back is friends with uh dj chemo but uh that that song basically was the anthem for Canadian hip-hop resilience when it first came out, and it uh, definitely took it south of the border and uh, did a lot of good things for Canadian hip-hop and sort of paved the way. So that was kind of our uh, a little homage to that. Shay, I don't want to come across as ignorant on this one, but is Canadian hip-hop more polite than American hip-hop? Um, I, I, I would say that it's, uh, there isn't a more polite Canadian, uh, hip hop as a whole is just more so a voice using your voice and telling stories about, uh, potentially, you know, where you came from, how you grew up, that sort of thing. And the things that you're surrounded by, it's basically storytelling. So in that sense, it may be more polite. It may not be. It really, uh, it depends upon, uh, the person who's speaking and telling the stories, I guess. So, Shay, before I forget to ask you this question, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Northern Touch Music Festival, which is happening tomorrow and Saturday? Absolutely. We have uh, we partnered with Manitoba Music, and we brought some professional development to the city to help out hip-hop artists. Being a rapper myself and, uh, and also getting into some singing as I get a little older, I've noticed that it's uh, been difficult and an uphill struggle for hip-hop artists and artists in soul, R&B, uh, reggae as well, to kind of find their place in the Canadian tapestry and uh, the industry as a whole. So what we've done is we partnered with Manitoba Music, and we've got a sponsorship from Factor, um, the Foundation for Assisting Canadian Talent on Record. And what uh, we've done is created professional development as well as two days of showcases, um, Friday night at Le Garage as well as Saturday at Park Theatre, where we'll be showcasing some of Canada's uh, up-and-coming talent, as well as some that have been in the music industry uh, here in Winnipeg that maybe haven't had the ability to 
show off their their talents and skills. This is for both Alexa and Shay. Alexa, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and mentorship and why it's so critical in creating a successful business and and why it is uh, crucial. Is the same thing in terms of getting into a music career or even just expressing yourself overall in this art form, uh, mentorship and having someone that you can bounce off ideas and people that have been there and, and done this in the past? Absolutely. I mean, especially I'm really, uh, I really encourage millennials um, in this, in this time, um, we are going to have multiple careers. We're not going to be like our parents' generation. And I'm very passionate about making sure that we're all monetizing our income and monetizing it through your passions. So um, I I think everybody my age is an entrepreneur in their own right. Um, And to define that through your art is one of the best ways you can uh, sustain your income. So you're a delegate that who is going to be speaking tomorrow. Yes, I am. So what? Uh, where are you doing that, by the way? At uh, Manitoba Music on Donald Street. What time will you be speaking? I believe my presentation starts at 2 p.m. Okay. So mm-hmm. what are you going to talk about? Ooh, what am I going to talk about? Uh, the basis of my presentation um, kind of ties in with the whole, um, I guess, reason why the Northern Touch Music Festival started. Basically. I'm going to be speaking to the anti-blackness that um, the arts community is facing within Winnipeg. And it's not just a Winnipeg thing, it's across Canada. And like she said, with hip-hop, with soul, with reggae, with R&B, basically black music um, is always pushed aside, um, either out of the Canadian narrative, the Canadian music narrative, and it's mostly uh, folk and roots and country and rock that are really supported, especially within the prairies. Like there's certain hip hop artists that come here and couldn't even sell out the MTS center. Like big major artists. Like, yeah, absolutely. I remember Drake canceled, Chris Brown canceled, um, Rihanna, Rihanna didn't sell out either. And it's, it's interesting because Rihanna didn't sell out. I don't, a couple years back when she, when she came here, I don't think so. I know when Beyonce came here, obviously she sold out, but that's because other people, um, in the Northern States and other places in Canada came here, right. To really boost up that audience. But, uh, no, and I think it's time that we address why, artists in the community um, who are in these different eclectic uh, uh, music industries and uh, reggae and hip-hop and R&B are not being supported by organizations that are for the arts, but obviously not supporting people that I know and on their hustle and on their grind, really just trying to get um, and develop their artistry. We are joined on the phone by Shay Malcolmson, who is the co-founder of Northern Touch, which is a music festival happening tomorrow and Saturday in Winnipeg. And Alexa Potashnik is a delegate who is speaking tomorrow at the festival. She's also a beatboxer, an activist, and founder of Black Space Winnipeg. And Shay, in reference to... Uh, hip-hop and the way it is sort of regarded in Canada. I remember, uh, was it the Rascals themselves, the the guys who sort of spearheaded the Northern Touch track? They they turned uh, Juno away, did they not? Absolutely. Um, they they noticed uh, what had happened was is they uh, actually won an award for their album Cash Crop, and um, when they went to receive their reward, uh, recognized that... Um, because it was not going to be part of the televised portion of the Junos, they were going to decline it um, as sort of a statement in regards to the music industry in Canada and try to 
uh, help create awareness around it. Next year, uh, hip hop was um, actually put to the forefront and they performed the song Northern Touch uh, live on TV for the Juno Awards. And since then, have made uh, paved the way for artists um, that have come along as well as Canon, Chaos, um, Classified, those type of artists. I don't think that they would have had the avenue that they did without uh, the Rascals doing what they did back in 1998. Hey, Shay, I got to take you back uh, a ways in Winnipeg music history. Uh, do you know Eli and Garfield from Mood Rough? Of course, Mood Rough. I know the Peanuts and Corn crew. They're uh, some of the people that uh, paved the way for us here in, in the city. So I absolutely, of course, uh, Dow Jones. I would be I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't mention and, and recognize the Peg City Hall that that went on back in the in the late 1990s here in Winnipeg. Kind of the the, the kind of the incubus for a lot of uh, hip hop uh, groups here in Winnipeg. Yeah, for sure. Back um, That's around the time when I moved to the city, and I know there were people out there doing it. Moonshine Crew, Deep Cave has been doing it for a long time. Um, there's uh, Foreign Objects have been around for quite some time. There's a lot of hip-hop artists and, and, and a lot of the community that's been working so hard, like Alexis said, that just, you know, a, a lot of them feel like they've just been ignored or have just been kind of pushed to the side and we kind of feel like now it's time to come together and to really give a platform and to really support uh, the culture as a whole. Well, and Shay, this, I, I got to tell you, I was stunned to learn this. And I, I remember, and I, this is typically a cardinal sin to talk about other radio stations, but I'm going to mention this one because this radio station no longer exists. But you were a morning show host at Streets FM here in Winnipeg just a few years ago. And it was the only hip-hop station in all of Canada at the time? It was the only commercial uh, hip-hop station in all of Canada, that is, that is correct, and then uh, actually switched its format to a more rhythm, uh, sort of rhythm, rhythmic pop sort of uh, uh, format, but yes, it was. I, so the, the reason why I bring that up is I would have thought for sure that uh, a larger market like Toronto would have had a hip-hop station well before the city of Winnipeg. I think there have been ones that have kind of come up uh, to the surface a little bit and just, again, sort of pushed under. But that sort of speaks to the whole festival and to the whole uh, concept that we're trying to get across is that often these are overlooked. Often um, larger industry doesn't take note of the power and numbers and the power that we have as a community and how much we stick together. And I believe that, uh, that now is the time for that to change. On stage, he's known as Abstract Art Forum. His name is Shay Malcolmson. He's Northern Touch co-finder and organizer. Shay, is it your impression that everyone that needs to know about this event over the next couple of days knows about it? Or would you like to spread the word and, and put a bug in some people's ear who might be able to uh, pass the word along maybe to their kids or uh, friends of friends? Well, what I what I had mentioned previously is um, just the fact that the community is actually fairly tight. So I think all, a lot of the people that know about it definitely know about it. But if you don't know about it, we'll be at Le Garage on Friday. And uh, on Saturday, we'll be at the Park Theatre. It's $10 for wristbands. There are limited wristbands at the door. And during the uh, professional development portion is at uh, Manitoba Music, where we've got delegates from the U.S., Europe, and across Canada, as well as Alexa, and um, we've got uh, all different, we've got some professional development that touches on subjects like um, booking shows, um, also how to build your team and when's the right time to build your team. 
uh, as well as a singer-songwriter portion and a chance for artists to show their demos for all of the delegates that uh, will be on the panel and uh, one-on-ones that will also help them meet people within the industry. So that's what's going on. Uh, the, the seminars themselves are full, but uh, come on out to one of the events and try to get a wristband at the door, and we'll definitely be uh, happy to see you there. And the website is northerntouchmusicfestival.ca. Shay, I think we're going to let you go. We'll keep Alexa for a few more minutes, but uh, we'll let you go and get back to your day. All right, sir? Sounds good. I'm actually just sitting here with Forrest Black, one of the delegates who came in from Germany. So he'll be uh, speaking on the teamwork panel as well as uh, doing uh, some singer-songwriter and production stuff. So thank you guys for the call, and thank you, Alexa. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Shay. Shay Malcolmson is Northern Touch Music Festival co-founder. He's the organizer and rapper under the name Abstract Art Form. And again, the website, northerntouchmusicfestival.ca. We're gonna, we'll continue our chat about this, and we'll talk a little bit more about Black Space Winnipeg with Alexa Potashnik after your forecast, which is up next. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's going to go. First offense. All of the mix. Great song. Maestro Fresh West, let your backbone slide. You know, we love music here at 680 CJOB. We've actually got a little bit of a mandate to play a little bit more of it. So hopefully we're fulfilling that mandate. Um, Tomorrow we're going to celebrate the 150th anniversary of Canada, the sesquicentennial. And uh, we want your input. Go to our Facebook page. We're talking music there. From 11 till 12, we will really dig down and uh, determine the best Canadian musician of all time. We want to invite you to take on the challenge. I don't know where Maestro Fresh West ends up on our bracket, but uh, we'll invite you to... he's on the bracket, right? uh, Kyle Milroy's not around. I don't know. I think he's up against Shania Twain. He's got to be. Oh, boy, he might be out early. (laughs) Hey, uh, just a quick question for you before we visit with Alexa a little bit more. Did I... I gained some street cred with you by bringing up Peg City Holla. Yes, because I I forgot about it. I knew I knew about it, and then like, oh yes, thank you for bringing that up. I don't know why I didn't think of it. So yes, shout out to Adario, formerly known as uh, Garfield Williams, a longtime friend of mine, and my brother Chris's, and also to Eli. Uh, these guys have done incredible stuff for the music scene here in Winnipeg over the years, and uh, proudly Winnipeggers, no matter where they perform. Alexa Potashnik is our guest in studio. She is a delegate speaking at the Northern Touch Music Festival, which is happening tomorrow and Saturday in Winnipeg, northerntouchmusicfestival.ca. Don't have a whole lot of time here, Alexa, so why don't we focus on you're the, fact, you're the founder of Black Space Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Why was it important for you as the founder of this organization to be involved? Uh, simply because we want to increase visibility for Winnipeg's black community through art, through activism, through politics, through entrepreneurship, basically taking over every sector and very passionate and advocating for our community. Um, and it's interesting because just because, uh, we align ourselves or define ourselves as black, there still comes a great richness and diversity within Winnipeg's black collective from newcomers in different countries in Africa and the Caribbean and of course, um, Afro-Canadians born here. Um, and I just, I really hope that after tomorrow um, and conversations like this is going to open the door um, to people who are holding all the resources and power um, within the arts community. And that's 
and actually make it inclusive towards all artists of all colors and all backgrounds and all disciplines. Uh, that was the the big thing last year with Culture Days and um, the Nuit Blanche Festival. I contacted them and we had our uh, Afrocentric uh, festival that night uh, with local artist Jabril Bangura and other amazing photographers and videographers in the black community. And it's just it's just ridiculous. Like we're in 2017. I know Winnipeg um, is at times trying to be progressive, but towards black people and black people in Canada, we have been exempt from the national narrative and it's time to be known and recognized we haven't asked her to beatbox should we do that as we go out <laughs> you gotta beatbox us out are of gonna, here are you gonna are you gonna drop you're gonna drop like some oh, lines no i know no. no, I, I never said i'm a rapper <laughs> it's a symbiotic <laughs> relationship you can't have one without the other okay okay i'll give you something Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> I just want to jump on my chair and just go, man, right? I'm feeling bad for letting Alexa beatbox like that. We didn't have any lyrics to drop in. Man, that's incompetent of us. Yeah. Well, and I'm also just a scaredy cat. I'm, I'm not a freestyler, so... <laughs> As he straightens the peak on his Winnipeg Thunder hat, trying to look a little gangsta this no, afternoon. Just supporting the Thunder. I love it. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Thursday afternoon. It's 2.34, coming up on 2.35. What does that mean, Brett? What? Thursday, 2.30. What does it mean? It's time for Carolyn Clausen, therapist with Conexus Counseling. You can read her blog at conexuscounseling.ca, which is where... I found her latest blog post, which is titled An Open Letter to Indigenous Peoples of Canada. And we, of course, I immediately said, Carolyn, can we do this? And she said, yes, but rather than just three white people sitting around probably having what will amount to an awkward conversation, why don't we invite somebody from the Indigenous community? So, Greg, you did that. I did that. I've invited a leader in the Indigenous community. He's the publisher of the First Nations Voice, Trevor Greyeyes. He's been on our program before. Trevor, nice to see you again. Thanks for popping by and lending your voice to this conversation. Uh, you'll have to, I, if I may, on behalf of Dude, all of us. Do you want us, me to just jump in at the appropriate time? To jump in? No, we want, I, I have a sense that Brett and I may be on the sideline on this one a little bit, just based on uh, the tone of, of Carolyn's letter here. I, but we want to have an open and honest conversation. And Trevor, maybe I'll start with you before we really get into this. Do you find that there are awkward moments between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians as it pertains to talking about serious issues, that, that people are are afraid before we even start talking that we're going to offend one another and get off on the wrong foot? Uh, well, I like to think that awkward is my middle name, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, there are, it, it certainly with some people, as, as I was telling uh, Carolyn, as we were waiting out there a couple of summers ago, you know, because I have some non-Indigenous friends. You do? Yes, I do. So I was invited to a barbecue and they're more working class, but I found myself the only Indigenous person there. And, and uh, this one guy comes up to me and he says, you know, uh, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, like... Uh, like uh, Indian issues and that sort of thing. So, but uh, before he, I could say anything to him, he also looked. He said, "Mind you," he says, uh, "I never graduated high school. I don't know much about Canadian history." 
And then I just looked at him and I said, well, before engaging me in a subject, why would you tell me that you're totally ignorant about it beforehand? It's an interesting approach. <laughs> to which he just started stammering. But I, I know why he did that, because I have other people do that. And right. they want to come up to me and they want to say they have no uh, preconceptions, that, that they, they're blank states, you know, that, you know, that this is... You know, that's where they're coming from. But at the same time, too, in order to understand these issues, you got to understand how we got here in the first place. You know, so it's ignorance in this case is no defense for anything. So, Carolyn, you wrote this open letter to Indigenous Peoples of Canada. And the first thing that is in this blog is a picture of a large forest with a Canadian flag. And there's the words, if your fun isn't fun for everybody, it's not fun for anybody. And this is in relation to Canada 150. So what led you to put your fingers to keyboard and start typing this letter? Well, I, I don't claim to be an expert in Indigenous issues. I try to make a point of um, doing more reading and talking to more people. And uh, a friend of mine was on a walk to support um, one of the bills that is going through um, uh, government in fall. And so I've been trying to read up on things. And I just, I had this growing discomfort with how do we celebrate Canada 150 when there's so much in the news and on Facebook and different kinds of social media that says this is not a fun celebration for all of us. And for Indigenous peoples to celebrate 150 when they've been around for a lot longer that, than that. And at 150, that was when colonialism really started. And that's not something that Indigenous peoples would celebrate. It just felt like if they weren't having fun, then maybe we all have to recognize and work to understand and under and 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 recognize that as I love living in Canada. My grandparents were immigrants to Canada. They were refugees. My mother was a refugee to Canada. I am very grateful for the for all that Canada has, the options, the choices, the elections, the democracy, the health care. I love Canada. And there's a huge part of me that wants to celebrate. And then there's another part of me that says what we're celebrating doesn't make sense. And we're not recognizing and being respectful to some of the pain and um, the the disrespect and the way that um, government and white people or settlers have treated indigenous peoples. And we have to talk about it and we have to recognize that we are still living in a system that has um, just, I don't even know, I don't even have the right words because I'm worried whatever kind of words I'll use will be either not heard well by settlers or feel disrespectful and not accurate to indigenous peoples. So it's an awkward conversation and I was really nervous to write the blog but it felt like to not write it would be even worse. Well, you know, Carolyn, I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I can sympathize in a way, but, uh, you know, and I, I know Greg called me a leader uh, when we started off the segment, but I, I don't necessarily term myself uh, as a leader. I, I happen to be a business owner within the community uh, upon which, you know, uh, my business, uh, a lot of both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people rely on. Uh, so... But to get back to what you you had stated there was that, um, while I sympathize, you know, uh, as for myself, and I can think I, a lot of people I know feel this way too, it's not quite, you know, we're not looking for uh, the sympathetic uh, guilt or, or that sort of, I know that may be something uh, you as, uh, and being a very uh, naturally tuned into person to other people's emotions might feel. But we're not looking for guilt. Uh, what, what we're looking for is, you know, uh, a recognition of of our rights and, and what we've contributed 
uh, to the founding and of the, and the building up of this country so far. Because you talked about your your grandparents, and there's a couple of things I wanted to, uh, you know, colonialism. It didn't start 150 years ago. It started way before that. Uh, and and getting back to your grandparents, uh, the thing I uh, I would like to say that a lot of people probably don't uh, realize is that, for instance, uh, my grandparents weren't recognized as Canadian citizens in this country until 1960. Up until then, uh, First Nations people weren't Canadian citizens. And that would have been 1964 in Quebec. So that's part of the history there. You know, so, but there's nothing I can say to address your guilt, but I would just hope that a lot of more people would become uh, aware of these issues, you know, that, you know, we didn't get here because, you know, because this goes back to Canada 150 about the mythology of the founding of this country, about, you know, that that it was fair to everybody, and, but it wasn't quite fair, you know, and that's why uh, a lot of, you know, uh, my, my brothers and sisters, uh, find themselves in, in such trapped in such horrible circumstances uh, from something that is outside of their control. I want to play a piece of audio that Carolyn put on her blog. It is uh, part of a poem called Canada. I can cite for you 150. It's a poem narrated by Christy Belcourt. And again, you can see the whole thing at connexuscounseling.ca. I'm just going to play 30 seconds of it for you here. And we'll first get Carolyn to react and then Trevor. Canada. I can cite for you 150 lists of the dead, 150 languages no longer spoken, 150 rivers poisoned, 150 indigenous children taken into care last month, 150 indigenous communities without water, 150 grieving in a hotel in Winnipeg, so, Carolyn, when you first saw this video, what was your initial reaction to that? Well, my heart broke, right? I And I, I think a lot of those um, things that she was describing in her poem, that wasn't the first time I've heard it, but when you hear it bang, 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 repeatedly, you realize um, some of the damage that's been done. And the part of the clip that you didn't play that's in here as well is talking about the celebrations and the strengths and the things that the, that, that, that the Indigenous cultures have as well, that there's much to lots of 150 reasons to celebrate as well. And so there's this contrast to recognize the, the damage that's been done, but also the strength that has risen above and is continuing to thrive that we also need to recognize and to celebrate. Carolyn, we, we've spoken a lot about family dynamics over the years that we've known each other now and, and how do we get past some of the things that have affected families and that have divided us. Is this an opportunity, Trevor, I will ask you this first and in your mind, is this an opportunity this benchmark time in Canadian history, 150 years as, as confederation, is this an opportunity for us to reset the clock, to reset the conversation? Could we be looking at it this way from a constructive point of view to say, yeah, you know what? There are some things, and reconciliation is a big, big word in our society right now, but can this be a genuine demarcation point for that? Well, you know, I would certainly like to think it is. Uh, you know, one of the things that you can see developing was that uh, in Ottawa last night, there, there was a protest down there and, uh, you know, and they set up some teepees, some people got arrested. But 
this is the whole point of it. You know, I remember I was uh, recently uh, did an interview on CBC, the National, about um, cultural appropriation, and one one of the things uh, I said was that you know th- this is a, a great time because you know uh, the indigenous people we're standing up for ourselves now and, and we're pushing back and we're saying this is not right. But at the same time, too, I'd also like to say you know to people out there is that you know if you want to celebrate Canada Day one hundred and fifty. Uh, by all means, go ahead. But uh, I, I would rather you you celebrate, you know, uh, the ideals that were that are expressed there. You know, instead of you know the mythos or or what has happened so far. You know, I can understand that as well as I should say. I know Aboriginal people who are celebrating uh, Canada One Hundred and Fifty as well. I've I've seen a few posts on Facebook, but most of them are like, I'm just going to ignore the day. You know, and and just to anybody out there who's listening to, just because you know one a- Aboriginal person who is celebrating, you know, Canada One Fifty, uh, does not mean that you know that all of us support it or that it's some sort of uh, blanket endorsement of the day. Is that healthy for some Indigenous folks to treat it that way? And is it that is that protest a good signal for the rest of us to a to pay attention and to tag on to my original question to Trevor? create this opportunity as a, as a new starting point? Well, I think this is, it's a really cool opportunity as we've been hearing the dialogue around it to open up the space and to increase the understanding. I know that it's prompted me to start watching a lot more YouTube videos and to be hearing about uh, Bill C-262 that's coming up in the fall and listening to things. And, and as we use the, the opportunity to create space, to dialogue and to understand, then maybe we can increase... Um, the way we talk about each other, t- talk to each other and improve the relationship because there's a lot that's not working. And I think it's important that we try to figure out how to make it work better. We're going to continue our conversation in a moment. We have our weekly visit with Carolyn Clausen, who is a therapist with ConnexusCounseling.ca. You can read her latest blog post, which is an open letter to Indigenous Peoples of Canada on the subject of Canada 150. And we also have in studio a member of the Indigenous community, Trevor Grayeyes, who is publisher of First Nations Voice. And we will continue our chat after your forecast up next. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Carolyn Claassen is here along with Trevor Grayeyes. We're talking about Carolyn Claassen's, well, maybe if I turn on the right microphones here, Carolyn Claassen's open letter to Indigenous Peoples of Canada if your fun isn't fun for everybody, it's not fun for anybody. And of course, on the eve of this celebration, two days away from Canada's 150th anniversary of Confederation, there are parts of our country and certain populations within this country that are not feeling like celebrating. And Trevor, you're here to talk about that a little bit and to break down the the, the whole conversation surrounding this. And we're trying to find out if this is an opportunity for a for a fresh start or, or not. And Carolyn, I, I know you wanted to highlight a, an event that's coming up that ties into this. Yes, there was an event that happened um, where there was uh, uh, about 100 walkers that walked 600 kilometres from Kitchener-Waterloo to Ottawa. And what they were doing was trying to raise awareness. And it was a mixture of settlers and Indigenous people that were walking together. And each night they would have... Uh, an evening where they would have a teach-in. And there is a, a evening 
tonight at 222 Furby Street at 6.30 p.m. Um, and if there's a discussion there, a night of teaching, storytelling, and learning about Indigenous and settler reconciliation. And there's a number of speakers that are going to be talking. And I just think it's a really cool opportunity for us all to learn because Trevor was talking about the value of of really learning and understanding the history. And it's not the history that I was taught. Canadian history was taught from a very different perspective. And I missed huge parts of really important pieces that happened in the story. There's no way I could learn that in my high school. And now it's catch-up time. And I think it's important to understand and to to know the history so that we can understand some of these issues and, and not rush to judgment. So, Trevor, I mean, as we, we sit here and have this discussion, I, you did say that you're not looking for sympathy or guilt, but at the same time, you're looking for acknowledgement. So what, rather than feeling guilty, what should we do then as we move forward and acknowledge Canada Day, but also acknowledge this other stuff, to put it rather ungracefully? <laughs> One of those awkward moments. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, you know, one of the things, like... Myself as as a, an indigenous person, like I've been doing this over, for over twenty years now. You know, I've 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 done like national radio, I've done TV, I've done so many different publications, and, and especially since the advent of the uh, the internet, you know, like over the last few years, I've been receiving uh, so many comments on the uh, spaces given after such stories and that sort of thing, and and people will be like saying, well, why can't you just get over it or you know, uh, I didn't steal anything or, um, or I'll, I'll give you one of the people I use is a non-indigenous fellow because I don't feel comfortable just pointing at somebody and saying that's a white person, you know, but, uh, it's a guy named Bill Gallagher and he, he negotiated, uh, what is known as treaty one land entitlement here in, uh, in Manitoba when it first happened back in the eighties This is how long he's been doing it. And he wrote a book called resource rulers. Now, when I first got him on, he had racked up, uh, no, the First Nations, by his tally, had racked up 150 court victories in the resource development area. Now, uh, as I just talked to him today, it's 241. Because he said to me, he said, you tell them, Trev, you don't have 150 reasons why you have 241. So among other things, uh, to put it broadly, is that uh, Aboriginal rights, ha- land rights have been recognized, which is very important in this country because one of the things often comes to me is, well, nobody owned this land. Uh, no, I'm afraid a Supreme Court of Canada decision came down recognizing Aboriginal title to the land, which even in in territories like, like Winnipeg here, Treaty 1, it's very important to know because if you don't, you know, uh, that has an effect. And how does that affect us uh, here as citizens of Winnipeg? The Capyong decision comes down from that Treaty Treaty One decision, so that's that's the basis of the reason why that obligation is still owed through Treaty Land Entitlement. So if you don't know that, you're, you're just going to say some things that can sound, you know, racist, but are probably just more based on the people just don't know. They're they're ignorant of, of the legal foundations of this country. I just want to acknowledge a text we got here before we go. I would love to continue this conversation another time. The Native people are the holy people of our land. We need to treat them with more respect. When you hear something like that, Trevor, and oh, well, nine I, I, words I, I, or less. You know, people, are, and especially Indigenous, don't like this, but but I'm actually an atheist, so. <laughs> 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 oh, we're going to have 
going to leave it there. All right. Trevor Gray Eyes is publisher with First Nations Voice. And Carolyn Clausen, our weekly 2.30 visit here at on Thursdays, therapist with Connexus Counseling. You can read her latest blog post, An Open Letter to Indigenous Peoples of Canada, at connexuscounseling.ca. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Well, I'm not going to be here with you tomorrow. Tristan Field-Jones will be, and that'll be delightful news to some of our listeners. Oh, stop it. Oh, yes. Last time you and TFJ hosted the show, got plenty of feedback. Best afternoon show in a long time with Mackling away. Should be good. Fictitious. Tomorrow morning from 11 till 12, uh, tune in. I'll be filling in for Hal, who's been filling in for Jeff Courier the last couple of weeks. I think Jeff is back on Monday. Well, no, he's not back till Tuesday because... Monday's a holiday. That's right. For us anyway. And if it's not for you, we apologize. Uh, Jeff will be back on Tuesday. But we're going to talk about Canadian music. Go to the Facebook page. Our great Canadian uh, bracket is there. Great Canadian music bracket is there. We'd love to get your feedback. And we'll debate who the best band is, best individual uh, musical act, performer. And then we'll kind of battle it out. And by 1 o'clock tomorrow, we will declare a winner. In the meantime, uh, whenever I get an email from our friend uh, Jason Zavixe, he used to be mm-hmm. with Downtown Winnipeg Biz, now he's with HTFC Planning and Design. Uh, always make sure to raise an eyebrow and take a peek. And this latest one he sent is called Picnic at the Park. Upper Fort Garry Provincial Park challenges 150 people to picnic in advance of Canada's 150th celebration. And joining us to talk about this live on 680 CJOB, we have Dr. Jerry Gray, who is chair of the Friends of Upper Fort Gary. Dr. Gray, thank you so much for joining us today on Mackling and McGarry. So tell us a little bit about this event. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for calling. Uh, yeah, this is uh, on tomorrow, June 30th. Uh, the designer of the park was uh, passed away last January, Gary Hilderman. And um, since he was the designer, we wanted to find some way to celebrate his legacy in this. And so June 30th is his birthday. And so we decided to uh, organize this picnic tomorrow, very informal. Uh, people to you know, bring their blankets, chairs, lunch. There will be food trucks there, that sort of thing. And the real treat will be music by the Ukulele Club of Winnipeg. And that's a club that Gary started a few years ago when he started playing the ukulele. And it's just going to be a good informal time and hope the weather holds. Yeah, no kidding, Jerry. I'm just looking at the forecast right now. We'll have our fingers crossed for you for sure. I have to confess that park is one of my uh, kids' favorite place. My boys love going to that park. Uh, whenever we're down at the Forks, they have to go over and visit, and you're adding things all the time. One thing I want to ask you, the light display, is that working intermittently? Does it only work at certain times of the day? And for those that haven't been there, maybe give us a little bit of an audio tour if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. It worked. It, it's set to to go on several times a day. And if you go on the website, UpperFortGary.com, it'll have the schedule there. But basically, uh, it's on about every 15 minutes starting about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But there's other times during the day. So if people, and we don't change it very often, but uh, we will have it playing tomorrow, that's for sure. It's a fantastic show. Uh, it's a, There's 9,000 LED lights on that Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries Heritage Wall. And that's 440 feet of welded steel. And there's 18-channel sound. And so what we have up there is our first program, which is the interpretation of the Métis buffalo hunt. And so you hear dogs barking. You watch buffalo run across the wall. The ground shakes as they run across the wall. A wagon's creaking. It's a great, about a five-minute show. And it's, it's really worth seeing. 
Why is it important to have a, a park like this in right in our downtown where more and more in recent years we're looking to, to go up? Uh, so here we have something at the ground level. Why is it important to have that and maintain it and keep it as part of our downtown? Well, as you may recall, we had this little thing about 12 years ago now where the property was going to be vacant and the city wanted to sell it off and they sold it to a development, a condo development. Uh, that's when Gary formed Friends of Everboard Gary. And we got together, there were 12 of us, and we petitioned and we worked with City Hall and so forth. And ended up, they, the city gave the property to us and has since been added on to. It, that's, it's the most historic site in Western Canada. I mean, that's the place where Manitoba signed the papers to enter Confederation in 1870. And to have condos built on there and gas stations and curling clubs really was a, a, a black mark against our history. So people like Gary, and Gary was the leader of this, not only on the design, but on the organizing. And he was really passionate. And in fact, we've titled the event Upper Fort Gary Hilderman Picnic because coincidentally, Fort Gary has two R's in Gary, and Gary's first name has two R's in it. So we just made it together and put him front Upper Fort Gary, Gary Hilderman Memorial Picnic. So I have to ask you about this, Jerry. If I, if I remember correctly, part of the original design was hopefully to incorporate some of the uh, and stake out the original perimeter of the fort in the form of maybe some sidewalk blocks, some recognition that actually cut into and across Main Street at different point in time. Is this project uh, still include that plan and are there still other aspects of this park still to come? Well, there's lots of more to come. We've finished what we call the first three phases uh, of the park. There is some things we would like to do uh, across the street. If you keep in mind what it looks like, the southwest bastion of the fort would have been located in Northwest Company's parking lot. And uh, so somehow we still want to demarcate that, that distance. And it could be bricks across the street or something. When you come across, you're crossing into really the city of Winnipeg and Upper Fort Gary. And we also have an interpret center uh, yet to come. And that's another big project we hope to start very soon. And that will finish off the development as we know it, as we originally planned it. So here's another thing to try to entice people to come down. You've got 300 free cookies up for grabs. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. That'll do it. Do you know I'm what kind of cookies? They, I'm going to guess they're going to go pretty quickly. I can't be sure, but that's my guess. <laughs> and you've got free kazoos? Yeah, we've got some free stuff for people. There's going to be food trucks there. And again, a very informal, you know, no speeches, ceremonies. Gary would like to have a party where people come on the site that he has such a strong hand in designing and just have a good time. And by the way, if, as you know, if they bring their smartphones and tablets, they can download the app and walk around the park and learn all about what all those things mean. Because, if, and you said your son's been there, there's nothing in that park that's literal. It's all interpretive. And if you have the app, it'll tell you what all this stuff is. Uh, Gary's mantra was no fountains and no statues. <laughs> Dr. Jerry Gray, chair of the Friends of Upper Fort Gary, inviting us all down to the park at uh, Broadway and Main tomorrow afternoon for a picnic. We're keeping our fingers crossed. The rain stays away for you, Dr. Gray. Thanks for your time Thanks this afternoon. 12, 12 to 2. All right. Thanks a lot. We very much appreciate the time. Once again, that is Dr. Jerry Gay, Dr. Jerry Gray, chair of the Friends of Upper Fort Gary. And again, he made reference to the app. I just quickly looked for it. I'm on uh, Android, so I looked it up on Google Play. Just type in Upper Fort Gary. There it is. It's the, you know, the one thing that you'll find, and it actually looks really cool. And this is the kind of thing that I think makes you want to 
get back down to the park. I don't it's know. I haven't been there place. in years. Really neat place. Uh, traffic note for you before we uh, pause for weather here. Notre Dame and Wall Street eastbound. Two car crash emergency vehicles are there. The two right lanes are blocked. That's eastbound Notre Dame at Wall. We'll get full traffic details from Brent Harder in two minutes on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you until 4 o'clock this afternoon. So we're heading towards this long weekend. Some of you might have tomorrow off. Some of you might have Monday off. Some might have both. Some may have neither. Either way, hope you're having a fantastic day. Thanks for making us a part of your day. This is the part of the afternoon that we like to give stuff away. Oh, yes, that's right. Hang on one second. Sorry. Well, look at me. Wait, not... wait, wait. Hold on. Let me do that again. Okay. This is the part of the day when we like to give stuff away. I'm on the ball. Are you? I have my eyes on the ball. I know. I, I didn't know. just take one to the nose. <laughs> I know how much you love golf. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, this is audio from the answer to our trivia question. Oh. Great insight on the game of golf and athletics in general. My definition of sport is a physical activity for relaxation. And when I think about the way people play golf, I see very little relaxation. So the point has been missed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. What are we giving away? And then I'll ask the question. We have four green fees for Pinawa Golf Club, a club that is northeast of Winnipeg, maybe an hour, just an hour from the perimeter. And uh, I played it just this past Sunday. And they call it... What? You know what, maybe I'll wait till he asks a question. I don't want to make, potentially ruin the answer, so... You'll be okay. Okay. I they, promise. They call it the course that nature built. Oh, no! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. okay. It's I'm, okay. Okay. So, what's the question? Oh, good answer. Ask it now? Yeah. I, th- I, I was wondering if you're going to say more s- nice stuff about Pinawa. In 1969... Which Winnipeg Boar golfing legend finished tied for second at the Masters in Augusta behind champion George Archer? Whoa, good question. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. That question again, Greg. I found my golf announcer's voice at the end there in 1969. Which Winnipeg born golfing legend finished tied for second at the Masters in Augusta behind champion George Archer. 204-780-6868. If you know the answer, you could be going to Pinawa Golf Club for green fees up for grabs. And I, I'm happy to say more nice things about this club. Uh, I just, I've played it now twice. And the first time I played it, uh, you know, I have a really bad memory when it comes to golf courses. I have to play a course repeatedly to remember it. But I don't think this is a course that I will soon forget. I just, I forgot how lovely it is and quiet and serene and and well kept. It's fun, you know. It's everything you you hope for in a golf course. Saw all sorts of deer. Normally, deer are really skittish, but on this course, they were they're used to you. Yeah, they same were just kind of hanging out. It's the same at Falcon Lake, yeah. and that's a. We might have an announcement coming about Falcon Lake, oh Pinawa, Granite Hills. Oh no! If you're interested in playing all those three golf courses over a couple of days, send me an email gmac at cjob.com or send brett an email brett at cjob.com we're trying to test the waters on this how about that your forecast is coming up in two minutes greg and brett with you just uh 22 more minutes till four o'clock and then it's richard and julie coming in we want to congratulate trevor feldham he's going to pinawa to do a little bit of golfing 
He knew the answer to the question. Here's the question. In 1969, which Winnipeg-born golfing legend finished tied for second at the Masters in Augusta behind champion George Archer? Here's an audio answer. In 1969, he was with the Canadian team in Singapore and the runner-up at the 69 Masters Tournament, tied for second place with Tom Weisskopf and Billy Casper and just one shot back of champion George Archer. George Newsom went on to win the Will Masters title in Australia. Ernie Nairn with the answer, George Newtson. Wow. The Manitoba, Winnipeg-born uh, PGA golf extraordinaire. Uh, he had eight career PGA victories. That ties him lifetime with Mike Weir. Right on, right on, and congratulations once again to our winner, Trevor Feltam, uh, who is now going to enjoy Pinawa. That's right. Now, I know what you don't enjoy, Brett, because you had a very visceral reaction to a story that came across our email last night with regard to animals. You were quite upset when you heard a story, a report about a, a, a cat or, a, or a, a pet carrier filled with an adult cat and kittens. You were absolutely furious when you heard about this last night. Yeah, this was something that was sent to us from the uh, from Craig Street Cats. A mother cat and her four kittens are safe after they were abandoned in a small carrier at the side of St. Mary's Road. The, the carrier was full of, you know, urine and feces, and when they, when they fed these cats and gave them water, they were just simply voracious. So it sounds like the cats are doing okay now, but it's just... You know, this kind of stuff horrifies me, and it, it makes me sad that we we have to bring our friends on from the Winnipeg Humane Society here to talk about this campaign that they've launched, A Hot Car Can Kill. It makes I say it makes me sad because this should not be something we have to remind people about. Well, that story that we just shared was clearly... Uh, perpetrated by people who don't like animals, even though they might suggest otherwise. This happens to people who love their pets and insist on taking them with themselves uh, everywhere they go. Javier Sforzinski is the CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Javier, thank you for your time this afternoon and sharing this critical message with our listeners today. Well, having me. Well, so Javier, a hot car can kill. You, the Humane Society, and partners have up to the ante to cool down pets in hot cars complaints. That's sort of a paraphrase of the headline here. So I guess why don't you just first give us the Coles notes on the campaign that you have launched? For sure. We're extremely grateful with uh, River City Ford that uh, approached us and essentially said, how can you know we help the Humane Society? And we receive approximately, well, last year we received uh, 185 calls of concern about uh, animals being left alone uh, in uh, cars in the heat. And uh, we need to do something to educate the public. You know, this is 185 too many phone calls that uh, we need to uh, to deal with. So we, we came up with a campaign. There's uh, essentially an educational component. Uh, there are stickers that you can get at uh, River City Ford, at the Winnipeg Humane Society, and also we're partnering with CAA Manitoba. And they're going to be directing calls to an emergency line, uh, but also distributing uh, these uh, stickers as a reminder that uh, there's never a safe temperature uh, in the summer months to um, leave uh, an unattended uh, dog or cat in, in a car. And I would say there's never a good time to leave an unattended animal in, in your car. And you may think that you go for a few minutes to run a quick errand and nothing's going to happen. And then... 
um, you know, the, the, the animal gets sick. And even today, where it might be cloudy, but it's 25 degrees, inside a vehicle, and we tested it when we made the announcement, was close to 40 degrees. Wow. And that is harmful, extremely harmful to the animal. Javier, you know, I mentioned uh, coming in that it's a, a, for a lot of people that end up leaving their vehicle or vehicles unattended with their pets inside. These are people who absolutely adore their pets. They consider them part of the family. So it's mind boggling that this continues to happen. But we also have folks out there that become vigilantes of sorts. We've heard stories of people breaking windows of vehicles that don't belong to them. Uh, I know we don't want to encourage that in any way. What should you do? when you encounter a vehicle where a dog or a cat has been left unattended in a vehicle? Well, the, what we recommend is, of course, take a look at the, at the animal. If the animal is panting, that is a normal reaction. If it's still moving around and the tongue is not of the color blue, uh, you, can, uh, you should immediately call the emergency line of the Winnipeg Humane Society, 982-2020, 982-2020. And if you are in a public space like a mall uh, or a movie theater, uh, go and try to get the um, license plate and the individual paged. And uh, we will respond as quickly as you know, we're able to. We have two crews um, in, out and about in the summertime, and we will handle the complaint as quickly as we're able. And uh, if you see that the animal is in, in, in severe distress, then you need to call 911 and ask for instructions as of what to do. The police can actually also come, depending on their, of course, emergency volume. Uh, if the animal is not moving um, and uh, is inside the vehicle, because you sometimes don't know for how long it's been there. But as long as the, the dog or the cat is alert and is panting, uh, immediately call 982-2020 and we'll dispatch someone as quickly as possible. Javier, what happens when a dog or a cat is left in a hot vehicle? For example, you mentioned 40 degrees. So what happens when this animal is trapped inside this vehicle with the windows shut? Well, in, the short answer is uh, the, the animal will go into shock and either the liver or the kidneys can fail and that can cause death. Uh, as, as harsh as it sounds, um, that is the consequence. And animals are furry. You know, imagine yourself, if you put yourself right now in a, in a parking lot with uh, a coat on uh, and wait 10 minutes, um, you'll see what happens. And that's what we need to think. We tend to underestimate how hot it is when the car is not running um, and uh, it gets really hot really quickly. And what happens with uh, our furry friends is that their organs fail uh, in a fairly short order. How long does it take? I mean, I know that there probably isn't a... You know, well, it, in, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's not an exact science, um, but again, you, what you will see is, of course, the animal will, will become in, uh, distressed, will start moving, then will start panting. As they're pant, they're actually trying to cool themselves uh, down, but they're actually causing more hot air uh, in the area, and eventually they uh, will become unconscious, and at that point is where organ failure is all but a certainty. Javier Servitsky is the CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Thanks for your time today and bringing this uh, issue. Unfortunately, we have to talk about it every summer, Javier, but uh, this is a, a great way for people to be made aware of what's going on, that emergency number for the Winnipeg Humane Society. One more time, 982-2020, if you should spot an animal in obvious distress.
in a vehicle that isn't your own. And again, this is a hot car can kill a new campaign from the Winnipeg Humane Society to keep pets out of hot vehicles. And that one more time, the emergency number is 982-2020. And for more information, you can visit winnipeghumanesociety.ca. We will have a look at traffic, a look at weather, and Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham will join us to tell us what's coming up on the news all in two minutes. Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier in studio to set up the news coming up at 4 o'clock. We know that June is graduation season. We also know it's wedding season. Our Global News colleague, Zara Premji, is working on this story for Live at 5 and on Global News at 6. We call it... The wedding planner. I want to. Know I want if to you know if you have anything to say. Because honestly, Lene, you screwed me over so bad, and I trusted you. You were like, you became Hi. my friend, and you just took everything, and you lied, and you faked people, and I don't know how you could live with yourself knowing you did this. Sky, I am a hundred percent so sorry. I never meant to hurt anybody. Or you, or you and Tim. This is coming from me. I know, but Lene, I can't trust anything you say. When the wedding plan goes wrong. That story coming up on the 5 o'clock news here on 680 CGOB Global's Zar Premji working on that story right now. Julie? Got, Julie? Uh, Dan McTagg will pop by gas prices as we get set for, you know, the road trips for summer the lowest they've been in seven years across the country. So we'll detail uh, some of those things for you. So perhaps you may want to climb in the car instead of climbing on an airplane. They've been kind of on a yo-yo the last couple mm-hmm. of days, yes? Okay. A little bit. You get well, to the bottom of that? And speaking of gas prices, uh, of course, Pallister buying time, going to court to try to deal with Ottawa. Uh, Hull and Shaw are standing by. Kurt Hull, Climate Change Connection. Terry Shaw, the Manitoba Trucking Association. Oh, yes, friends off the air, but on the air, not so much. We're going to talk to them after the 4 o'clock news as well. And uh, we're getting a couple of different versions of the truth on the ambulance uh, closures in rural Manitoba. We're getting one set of facts and another set of facts. So we're trying to find out what exactly is true on that story and a whole whack of stuff from governments on compensation, the compensation reports on who makes what, uh, $50,000 or more. You, Those are public documents now. We have the story from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Gents, we got the documents from the city of Winnipeg as well. Hmm. And um, How many pages is that, city of Winnipeg's? <laughs> it's like a Bible, isn't it? There are like a phone book. 33 pages, I believe, of uh, people that make over $100,000 at the city of Winnipeg out of a 190-page report. So there's quite a few. But I think the other part of the story and is the number of people who are making between fifty dollars and $60,000 a year. Because so often we say there's a lot of fat cats there. The ones with the high salaries are senior administrators, administrators, police, firefighters, etc., but for the guy on the shovel, the woman on the shovel, how much are they making? More on that story coming up. I've always wondered why we have to release the salaries of the doctors in this province. It, it, because they're publicly paid, and that's I understand your tax why. dollars. Yeah. Hey, you don't need to educate me on that part of it. My question is, why do we need to debate it? 
these are people that have dedicated their lives to saving our lives. I just, I find it kind of creepy. I'm not sure I want to debate it. I think that people should know this information. And in fact, in some cases, I think they're underpaid. I know that we're almost out of time. So I'm just going to go. <laughs> Me too. Bye-bye, guys. Julie brought in cupcakes today. Thanks, Julie. They were really yummy. I had two of them. Uh, Richard oh, Cloutier, Julie Buckingham. I had, well, I had Greg's because he, he, I offered one to him and he turned it down. So I, I graciously accepted his in his stead. Uh, that's all the time we have. You don't have time to tell me exactly how it tasted? Oh, it was really good. It was Thanks. yummy. It's great. I'll eat another banana. <laughs> oh, he's, he's watching his, his diet. I see what he's doing. Yeah, good you, for you, Greg. You, you caught on? You, no, have more, you have an iron will, unlike me. Jeff Forte, Master Control, thank you, sir. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.